Thank you, Leslie, Paul, the Gilbert family, the rest of you. Hi to you all. Good to be here today. Take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 4. How did I do? <laughs> Acts chapter 4. We continue on in our journey through the beginning of the church. And uh, that bridge, if you will, the book of Acts is an amazing one that uh, ties together the Gospels and Romans. Uh, it gives us the history of the beginning. As you're here today, this place is, when it's empty, is a building. When you're here, it's a church. Uh, believers in Jesus Christ make up a living organism of which Jesus Christ is the head. The one that died for us, the one that gave everything that he had to bring us back to God. Now, that's, that's what we're here for today. And in Acts chapter 4, let's take uh, your Bibles as I've already indicated. And I think what we'll do today is, uh, I think we're just going to have to read uh, chapter 4, 1 through 32. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 32. And it actually ties in back to chapter 3, the healing of this lame man. But as we go to chapter 4, there's something that's very indicative that changes here. Something has changed. Uh, If you begin in in Acts chapter 1, you find that there's a, a plea from Jesus Christ just before he's ascended back into heaven. He's been on the prowl, if you will, popping in and out of just walking through doors and places to teach the apostles, the disciples, how to preach, how to teach from the Old Testament about really his life. Okay, And then he said, you guys got to be my witnesses beginning in Jerusalem and going out the entire world. There's 120 of them gathered in Jerusalem at the beginning of the church. And it's amazing, in just a few weeks, it went from that 120, literally, Right now, we're probably closer to a count of 10 to 20,000. Because we've been adding to daily. Peter's first sermon resulted in 3,000 coming to Christ. Uh, we have here, and we have 5,000 men. We'll be reading it in just a second. But, of course, it's not just men. It is women and children. All of those, literally, would have had their lives changed because of Jesus Christ. There's no organization now. Keep that in mind. You've got, like, I'm going to say 10,000 plus. 10,000 plus people. Uh, that's a pretty good-sized community. No organization. The apostles are clearly and decisively in control of the doctrine, of the instruction. But, I mean, this is held together literally by whom? The Holy Spirit. 10,000 believers, 10,000 being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. If you've accepted Christ, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1. It's the guarantee, it's the earnest, if you will, that He is going to complete the work that He started. The Holy Spirit lives within you. He is the mark the, the point of redemption. At any rate, here we are, but something's changed in chapter 4, something very significant. When the cause of Christ is expanding, guess what's, who's going to come on the scene? The enemy. This is the first point we have now of persecution against the, the church. This is, this is where it begins is right here. It's rather mellow to begin with, and yet it continues on in an accelerated form. We'll find literally people will be losing their lives. I mean, it's thought today, I was, I was just doing a little bit of research this morning, not as much as I probably should have, but it's thought across the world today in Christianity alone that there are 150,000 men, women, and children that lose their lives annually. 150,000 Christians that lose their lives for the cause of Jesus Christ, because of Christ. Uh, let's, let's go on now. Let's go to Acts chapter 4, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. As they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. 
being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now even tide. Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed. The number of men was about 5,000. It came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. When they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before, here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it, it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them, that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. They called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God, or hearken unto you more than unto God, judge you. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done, for the man above forty years old, on whom this miracle of healing was showed." And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said unto them. When they had heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that, is, and all that in them is. Who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said, why did the heathen rage? And the people imagined vain things. The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever they, thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus." When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. And let's just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, we're here because you've allowed it to be. We're here because we want to praise your name and to worship it and to lift you up on high. Father, I would pray for each one that has come today that you would be with them. Their families, Father, you know their needs before they do. Surround them with your love, with your wisdom, with your power. Father, these moments that we have right now, relationally, we'll ask, Father, that we'll never have been closer to you because of the Word of God and because, Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit would exclusively and singularly be our teacher for these moments. Thank you for what you're accomplishing. 
Thank you, Father, for all that you'll do as we lift up your name, asking you to bless us and glorify yourself. These things we ask in Jesus' precious, holy name. Amen. Well, Acts chapter 4 is, as we've already noted uh, briefly, it, it begins in chapter 3. Uh, Laramie, maybe one more time, just throw our, get the context, the geography of where we're at in this session, if you will. Chapters 3 and 4 surround ourselves around the temple. Uh, they've been going there daily. The church has been growing, and it's been uh, a place that they've been gathering. Now, think of this for a moment. Um, what would you do if all of a sudden you had a whole lot of people? You've heard of house churches? I don't know of any houses that could hold 3,000, right? That's a big house. But there is a house in Jerusalem that literally would suffice for that, and that would be the temple. It's like enemy territory. What a great place to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Right there where there was the, shall we say, enemy territory. Now, we do know from this miracle, I just pointed out again, reviewing, uh, number 11. Ooh, I better be very careful or I'll get myself in deep trouble. Uh, right here, this gate going into the, to the temple itself. Now, uh, keeping in mind, not everybody could go into the temple. If you were a Gentile, you would have had to stay outside, uh, yeah, it says right here, the Gentile's courtyard. Okay? That would be outside of the temple. But this temple complex, if you do the math measurement-wise, it's about 40 acres. It's a massive place. It's a really big place, but it's a great place, honestly, that the church could gather. And, of course, they couldn't go inside the temple. Uh, the apostles could. Those who were of Jewish descent, they could. And that's where our man, our lame man, was at, was at the beautiful gate. We find him in chapter 3. He was looked at intently, it says, by Peter as they were walking through to get into the temple. And it was like God was speaking to him. The Holy Spirit was raising He said, there's our next illustration. Now, he'd been there for a long period of time. We just read in our text today, he was in his 40s. He had never walked from his mother's womb, it says in chapter 3. This is an invalid from birth. Okay, got it? How many times had people walked by this man? Now, this is, if there's a really good place to be a beggar, a really good place to get alms, this would be the place. This is the door, that go, the gate that goes into the temple. Now, the size of this literally does not do justice. I've, knew, I've mentioned to you a couple of different times. Um, it would have been 75 feet high. Got it? It's pretty high. It's 60 feet wide. It was covered with uh, I, bronze and gold. It was very beautiful just by the, the name of the gate itself. But it took 20 men to close it or open it. This thing is massive. That's the gate of which we find our lame man. Uh, so... I've got, to, I've got to review a little bit quicker here, obviously. But at any rate, Peter, in the name of Jesus Christ, now that name would have been a name that would have been cursed, would have been blasphemous because about 60 days previously, about two months, in that place, just outside to the east, he was crucified. Jerusalem had claimed him as king on, on, Tuesday, on Monday and on Friday, same week, not, not years later, the same week, he was hanging on a cross outside of town. What's went wrong? A lot. <laughs> a lot. This is the same place. God is giving another round of attention to the Jews after Jesus' ascension. What a great place to have church. In fact, it says, after they had healed the man, they ended up under 
uh, Solomon's portico, which would be on the far eastern wall, is the only thing remaining of Solomon's temple. This is all Herod's temple. This is the one he built to sort of pacify and to bring the Jews under his fold because he was not a legitimate king. Herod, that is. Herod the king. He was an Edomite. He had no right to the throne. But the best thing he could do was to throw a lot of money at a big project so that everybody that is in place of making him king or not would say, wow, we can be bought. That sounds like politics. <laughs> at any rate, this is where they're gathered. This is where our, section, our chapters 3 and 4 take place. Is right there on the outskirts. Uh, thousands of people would have been gathered there. Now, you, you get the scope. If that gate... Is 75 by 60, and this isn't necessary to... Do they have a... Uh, oh, here we go. Look at this. Uh, this would be a football field. This is a big place. This is a really big place. Well, here they are. Now, last week we went through the unfolding of the message. 5,000 men plus women plus children would now be involved in this beginning of the church. Guess who comes, dun, 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 here comes the big boys, the, tro the cops of the temple, Annas and Caiaphas and all of the bigwigs in the religious circles. They are upset. Now, let's stop for a moment. Let's say that you would have had a little prayer meeting and you were visiting. You know, I'll tell you what, if we could really get to the Sanhedrin, if we could get to the council, if we could get to those uppity up 70 that's serve in the Supreme Court of Israel, and if we could get those people to turn to Jesus, this thing would be a slam dunk, right? How are we going to do that? Should we advertise? Should we go knocking on doors? Should we get across the radio? Now, you know what I'm, I mean, that's facetious. They didn't have radio, but do you see what I'm saying? No, God had it set up. He heals a man that jumps up after 40-some years of lying there. Family members or friends would have brought him there daily, it says. And he jumps up and stands up. That's an illustration that will preach. They gather up and they say, by whom did you do that? You talk about bring them in. <laughs> <laughs> Could have you made it any better? They're standing literally in this place, in this courtyard, if you will, of the Sanhedrin. They had been taken out of this place. They would have went somewhere else to be on trial. They had been arrested. That night they spent in jail. The next day they came and stood in the middle of the Sanhedrin. Now that, my friends, is God at work. They are witnessing Jesus Christ to the most supreme court in the land. And they wanted them to. When they asked the question, by whose name did you do this? Oh, man, you talk about open the gate and Peter slide in and proclaim it. He is on fire, and he says, it's Jesus Christ of Nazareth who you killed. That name. <laughs> this is a problem. Now, there's a couple things we started last week. There's some principles for persecution. Uh, no doubt. Let's talk about that for just a second. Uh, let, let's take your Bibles and turn. Persecution is not something that's foreign. It's not something that won't happen. In fact, let's first of all go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. And Timothy, I'm sorry, Paul is writing his last letter, if you will, that we have to his 
his young son, in the, in, at least in the, in the spirit, in, as a Christian, he's mentoring Timothy. And 2 Timothy chapter 3, let's look at verses 11 and 12. Persecutions, afflictions, which came up unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, now watch, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you're a Christian and you're living the part practically of what you are positionally, guess what? Persecution will come. That's not a surprise. Now, persecution would be under, sometimes it's, uh, when, we, when we think of, of persecution, we think of it being almost a separate, it's like a separate event. And it does become much more severe, much more significant. As I spoke of earlier today, 150,000, supposed number, 150,000 Christians will lose their lives in a one-year period. That's literally going to the mat. That's, getting it, that's giving it all in. Okay? But persecution is also at different levels. Now, we find in a country, our country today, uh, persecution can be at a level of societal outcast. Uh, if, if, you're, if you're not woke enough or if you're not awake or whatever those terms are that they're utilizing, anything that silences the cause or the word or the message of Christ, that response to you speaking his name, speaking a message, that's persecution. And it can, it, it can leave a mark, honestly. You know, that, that old uh, nursery rhyme, whatever, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That is a lie. That is a lie. There are words that you've probably heard from 50 years ago. Well, if you're not, if you're not 50, it won't. But <laughs> the point of the matter is there's words that sting and leave a mark, isn't it? It's the same thing. Persecution can take on the sense of words. It can take the sense of actions, suffering in many, many ways. Um, if, if any of you have followed uh, Richard Wormbrand from Romania, I, I, that, that, my friends, is physical abuse to a maximum. And yet God used him mightily, mightily. But persecutions are a trial. Let me say that one more time. In James chapter 1, it talks about, we'll go there in a moment. Let's just go, we'll find, I want you to get in your Bibles and look at it. But the point of the matter is, it's sometimes it's like we set persecutions, it's like a separate event, it's like a separate deal, okay? It's suffering in a different way. But let, let's be clear, and there's a reason for it. Persecutions are trials. Now, what is a trial? Let's go to James chapter 1. Familiar territory, but at the same time, love to go right back to the Word. James chapter 1, and let's take a look. James chapter 1. Now, James would be, this is even making it more significant. I think that James, earlier in his life, before Jesus Christ, his half-brother, appeared to him, right? You know, when they were living in the house, I think James saw Jesus as a pain and a trial, in fact, his family didn't even approve of him, right? You would find that all through the Gospels. But something changed. This would be significant would be to me as well. If Mary, Mary Jesus' mother, stood at the foot of Jesus' cross and watched him die, watched him be buried, and three days later he appears alive. And James, the brother of Jesus, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, was the recipient of a viewing or an appearing of this your brother that was dead. That could change your mind. I think I'd take a look, right? Well, James wrote a, he wrote a, he bought, he wrote a book in your Bible, James chapter 1, and it says this, right out of the box. Well, first of all, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you would have told James earlier, like when I don't, he obviously would have been younger than Jesus by how much I don't know, but I'm going to say this, you're growing up in the family, Mary and Joseph, uh, yes, I'm a, I'm a servant of Jesus. 
Probably not. He thought he was a lunatic. That's actually a word that they use. But he says, now I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. How did they get to be scattered? Persecution. Persecution. How does God spread the church? Persecution. What do trials do? Verse 2, James pops right into it. He doesn't waste any time. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers or various temptations or trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, and let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect, that is mature and entire, wanting nothing. So what do trials do? They make us mature. They make us mature. And what did we say? Persecutions are a trial. Persecutions make us mature. You watch this church begin to mature now. I'm speaking of it back in Acts chapter 4. It's it's a treacherous time. If any of you have been persecuted, now there's, a, there's something that's, let's see, we should do this right now. Um, da, 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 da. Let's go with Jesus' words himself. Okay? Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Let's take a look at what the scriptures say in regards to this. This is important. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. It was the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is sitting on the side of a hill speaking things that were, whoa, radical, if you will, in the beginning of his ministry. It was like the inaugural speech, if you will. Uh, He's just been received as the beginning of the ministry. Now, let's look. Early on in that, it starts in chapter 5, verse 1. But let's turn down to um, verse 10. Verse 10, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. When men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. Now watch. For my sake. Did you see that? I have it underlined in my Bible because I don't want to miss that. If I'm persecuted for something I've done or I'm suffering for something I've done in the sense of sinning or I'm guilty of some who knows what. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about proclaiming Jesus' name, proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming his ministry. That, my friends, is what's being talked about for my sake, Jesus' words himself. Make sure that it's because of Jesus, if you will, that you're there. So back to Acts chapter 4. So they are in front of the Sanhedrin. We've got a, a... a healed man. They have proclaimed the gospel. And now they asked in verse 7, by what power, by what name have you done this? Oh, then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. Isn't that amazing? There's one step, I, I missed one key component. As we're going to write this down, there's going to be some things, these are principles of persecution. Now you will have persecution in your life at what level, I don't know. The way America's going right now, we're far quickly on our pace to where I won't be able to, by law or by men, teach you out of the Bible of what it says truthfully. They won't allow that to be done shortly. In fact, in places already within states in the Union, it's impossible to teach the Bible in its fullest content according to laws in California and various other states. I can't, if I was in California legally, I couldn't speak against homosexuality in in context of the scripture. That would be illegal. So the question that was asked of Peter to the Sanhedrin are questions that we more than likely in our lifetime will need to ask as well. Well, Am I going to obey the government, the laws, or am I going to obey God? Now, let's not be radical here now. The government, we are to be law-abiding citizens. But 
I don't know, I got to go down this trail for just a second. There's something here that's very, very important. How did Jesus, what was Jesus' last words to the apostles? What were his last words before they watched him ascend into heaven? Acts chapter 1. Let's go there. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. <clears throat> verse 6, we'll start there in verse 6. When they were therefore were come together, this is Acts chapter 1, verse 6, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? I'd like to comment on that right now. I can't. Verse 7, he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Watch 8. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That happened. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and the Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. What did this Sanhedrin just tell them not to do? Don't you dare preach in the name of Jesus. Now that's a dilemma. I shouldn't even say it's a dilemma, but it's a choice. Let's just say that. It was never a dilemma. You can tell from their actions, right? But at the same time, you have Jesus Christ specifically saying, preach about me. The Sanhedrin says, don't you dare preach about him. Who are you going to follow? You follow Jesus. That's right. You preach Jesus. You know, there's a whole lot of things I could preach about. Every week there would be multitudes of things I could talk about. But you know what? Let's just preach Jesus. What did Jesus say about? What is Jesus? Where is he? Jesus? Preach Jesus. Just preach Jesus. That's the one thing that Satan wants to stamp out is Jesus. And he can't do it. He's killed people. He's killed messengers. He even killed Jesus, and it got stronger, right? Aren't you glad that Jesus was crucified? Men did it, but it was the predetermined counsel of God, it says in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. This is all set out before in God's sovereign rule. There was never a question. I'm so glad that he was crucified. I'm really, really glad he rose from the dead. Because if he didn't rise from the dead, you guys shouldn't be here and I shouldn't be here. It would be pointless. He's just like Buddha. There's no difference. Just laying in a grave. But he did rise from the dead. That's why I want to speak the name of Jesus. If someone has a problem, I'll tell you what, and everyone has a problem. It's called sin. That's the biggest problem. It's not climate change. It's sin. This world is in trouble because of sin. The only one that can handle it is the one that rose from dead because death came because of sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. The only one that conquered death was, say it out loud, Jesus. Jesus. That's who's on trial here. Jesus. Do you remember, do you remember where I was going before I got off this little bunny trail? This is sort of important. Maybe it's not. That's, I've got nothing on the board. That's what you should say, right? So now, um, interestingly enough, uh, let's, come, let's go back to, to chapter 3 and 4 now, for, just in your minds. In the sense of lame man's healed. They gather up. It's amazing. This is like a celebration. This guy's 40-some years old, and he jumps up. He's leaping for joy. And the whole thing is going on, and Peter says briefly about how you come to Jesus. He proclaims Jesus again. You guys killed him, but he's your Savior. I, I really paraphrased. 5,000 expands. The church is just expanding beyond. I mean, it's leaps and bounds. Dun, dun, dun. Here, come the, here come the police. By whose name do you do that? Jesus. Jesus' name. We're going to have a problem here. What are we going to do with these guys? What are we going to do with these guys? Now, I want you to think about something you haven't. Two months before, there was one called Jesus that would have been crucified right outside these walls. There was another man in the previous 
Remember the night before he was crucified, you know, he was betrayed, right, by Judas Iscariot. And then he went, it, I can't go through all of them, but there was six trials that took place in the evening, early morning hours, and then when it was legal, the, are you kidding me? This is the same court that condemned Jesus to death. Guess who else was there? Peter. Except Peter wasn't very bold. What do we know about Peter the night of Jesus' betrayal? Let's go to Matthew 26. Let's watch it unfold for us. Do you see now? This will make you think about, well, all they did was told him, naughty boy, don't speak about Jesus. Do you think they don't remember this guy? Matthew 26. Let's take a look. Matthew 26. Uh, This isn't a different Peter either, by the way. This is the same guy, but he's changed. He's changed. Verse 57, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, 57. And they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas. Where's Caiaphas in Acts chapter (laughs) 4? Same Caiaphas, isn't it? Where the scribes and elders were assembled. Ah, this is the same place. But Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. (laughs) I don't see a lot of boldness in Peter right now. In fact, I'm going to let you go ahead and uh, fill those blanks and get all the way to verse 75, same chapter. Peter has denied him three times, and it said, Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. When they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. That's the same people of which Peter was scared beyond belief. In fact, go back to Acts chapter 4. Peter is bold in his announcement after they asked the question. Take a look at how they responded to that. Acts chapter 4. And let's take a look. Acts chapter 4. Verse 15. No, verse, I'm sorry, verse 13. Peter has just said, there's no salvation in anyone other than Jesus Christ. Verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were unlearned and ignorant men. Now, that means they had not went to the rabbinical schools. They had not went to seminary. They had not went to the places that religiosity would have preferred them to have the initials behind their names. This was Peter behind his name, the fisherman who walked with Jesus. I'll go with that every single day. I'm going to go with that, right? As opposed to the PhD behind the whoever, right? Watch. They marveled. They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Guarantee you, someone in the 71, that would be the entire Sanhedrin. Isn't, isn't, isn't that, that that guy that denied knowing Jesus? Isn't, isn't, isn't this Peter, the same Peter? What happened? I'll tell you what happened. The Holy Spirit got a hold of Peter. <laughs> Jesus gave him a mission. Peter got it, right? He is like, get out of the way, world. Here comes Jesus. <laughs> it's fantastic. Are you struggling with boldness? We're going to get to that in a moment. 
I'm telling you, this is, I wanted to take you back because this is the same place two months later. I could find the days, but it's two months. Why do you think the Sanhedrin thought a little threatening would go a long ways? <laughs> just, you be quiet. You guys just, just knock it off and be quiet. Okay, okay, we, we won't say anything. Nice meeting you. Have a good day. See you later. Boy, we barely got out of that one alive. Right? Because what did they do to Jesus? They killed him. Peter and John. In fact, we'll see in a moment. This is crazy, isn't it? And, and again, I, I want you there, that brief time period. Those in that temple that are running the show, those in the Sanhedrin after Jesus was crucified, and yeah, they bought off the guards. They said, now, if, you know, they're going to come back and steal the body. They're going to say that he rose from the dead, okay? And then the guards came back. He did rise from the dead. Like, the raw, like this rock. Well, here's some money. Shut up. <laughs> and it worked with them, didn't it? It's like uh, some of my Mexican workers, they say, you can buy anything in Mexico. <laughs> anything in Mexico. It's pretty much the same way all over the world, isn't it, honestly? From the highest level of politics to it, 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 it white, right? It's just the way it is. I'll guarantee you couldn't buy Peter or John today. There's no way. Because they're on fire because they know Jesus Christ rules and reigns and he's the king of this universe. He is the king and lord of salvation. Wow. But I want you to see something now. Let's keep reading. Um, verse 14. Beholding the man which was healed, standing with them. Illustration is still there. They could say nothing against it. Here's the same guy. You know what? I'll, I'll, I would just bet you that someone of those 70 would have given something, some alms, some offering, some money, something to that man lying there at the beautiful gate. And now he's... Standing up, praising God. They can't argue with it. When they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, in other words, we better talk about this. Let's get these two guys out of here. So now they're in this council, this Sanhedrin by themselves. They conferred among themselves saying, what shall we do to these men? Now I have that underlined in my Bible. I'm not telling you to, but isn't that interesting? The message was just given to them. There is no other name under heaven whereby you can be saved. Jesus Christ. They laid it out the same, didn't they? You need to repent, be converted. Jesus Christ is the only way that you can be saved. Now, I want you to hold that thought that I just had and go back to Acts chapter 2. This would have been the first message at Pentecost. Verse 37 of chapter 2. Uh, we'll start in verse 36. Like This would have been his last words, if you will. Therefore, verse 36, chapter 2 of Acts, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly, that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And to the Jew, that would be the Messiah. That would be the King. Now, verse 37, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and they said unto Peter, same Peter, to the rest of the apostles, same apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What did the Sanhedrin say? What shall we do unto these two? Missed it by a million miles. They're have you ever, when you're looking for truth, I'm going to tell you, now watch, watch my eyes, and if you're hearing this, you can't watch my eyes, but this is how the Sanhedrin were looking for truth. I can't see it. There's no truth here. What are we going to do to these guys? Right? You know how someone is looking for truth today in America that doesn't want to? The same way. It can smack them in the head. 
It's still the Word of God. <clears throat> Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That's, that's what the Scripture does. In fact, if that's the one thing we want to be careful of. It wasn't the miracle that brought men and women to Christ. It was the Word of God. If you need to question that, uh, Luke chapter 16. Um, just write it down in your notes. But there's the, the story that Jesus told about, the, the true story about a man named Lazarus. Not the Lazarus he brought from the dead, but Lazarus was a beggar that was living in the area of the rich man's court. The rich man went to Hades. Lazarus died and goes to the bosom of Abraham or paradise. And at that time, I, it's, I, can, I can't make this story any bigger than it is. But anyway, toward the end of that, Lazarus speaks to Abram, Abraham and he says, let me go back to my brothers lest they end up at this place. Remember what he answered? They have Moses and the prophets. They've got the Word. They've got the Old Testament. That's all they need. But you know what? No, he said, Master, he said, if I go back, you know, I'd be resurrected, right? I could go back for, for just a moment. I know I've got to come back because I'm destined here. But if I could just, if they could see me and I told them, they'd get it. No, no, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And there's people struggling with it because they're going around looking for truth with their eyes closed. true, isn't it? America's in trouble because they don't want the truth. And a miracle is not going to do it. It's still the Word of God. That's what Satan is trying to stamp out is the message of Jesus and the Word of God. And so far, he has failed miserably. Miserably. If you want to, men and women, if you want to know the truth, you get your nose in the Word of God and you pray to a God to save you and truth will come just like it did for these people. Just like it did for these people. Back to Acts. I think the Sanhedrin feel trapped right now, just like they did. Remember the Passion Week, they were in the temple and they were trying to trap Jesus. Remember how that went for them? Ooh. <laughs> they said... When they wanted to know who he was. Who are you? He says, well, why don't you tell me, was John the Baptist, was he of God? Or was this his own message? Whew. Guys, we're going to have to, you know what, uh, that's a bad question. Because if we say God, he'll say, well, why didn't you follow him? And if we say men, the rest of the people are going to get really mad. We don't know. That's political, right? Just spin a circle and, I don't know, uh, uh, I don't know, right? How's it going at the border? I don't know, right? It's crazy. This is crazy stuff. Just, just look, right? Just look. <laughs> look for truth. They're trapped again, aren't they? Now they just thought they got rid of Jesus. Now they got two guys, and this Peter guy was so timid and so faithless. Last time he was in this situation, two months ago, he ran like a scared rabbit. And now he's like the new Jesus. What are we going to do to these guys? <laughs> Don't you love it? This is the power of God. This, this is absolutely, without question, the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling faith-driven men that believe in Jesus. Praise God. <laughs> Why don't you tell Peter he can't do something, right? What shall we do to these men? 
For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. We can't deny it. That, I know that guy. That guy's he's Bill. I don't know what it is, but you get my picture. They know who this guy is. He's healed. But that it spread no further among the people. We've got to stop this. Let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. Heaven forbid if you'd say the word Jesus. They called them and commanded them not to speak at all or to teach in the name of Jesus. So now, again, what do you think Peter and, Jane, uh, Peter and John are doing? Whew, boy, we, I don't know what we're going to do here, buddy. Now, this, looks, why, this looks bad. Remember two months ago? They had Jesus in this place. Guess what happened to Jesus? He was hanging on a cross, right? <sighs> what are you going to do? I wonder what they're talking about right now. I wonder what they're going to do. Hey, you guys come back in here. Okay. What did you guys decide? Uh, this is the deal. Don't you dare teach or preach about Jesus. And then you can go. Now, I'm afraid. This is, this is, the, this is the bad part. Uh, if you think about the early church, right here, it's, it's beginning, right? You couldn't shut these people up. You couldn't silence the message. Today's church, there is no message. In fact, I was in a conversation yesterday with a, with a gentleman um, about Christianity today, the church today. And the, the church that just likens itself to where we are is the church of Laodicea. Let's just take a couple of minutes so you guys can read this, study it on your own. But let's go to Revelation chapter 3 because this is literally where the church is today in, in whole. Let's go to Revelation chapter 3 and let's take a peek. Revelation chapter 3. Now, this does not sound like what Peter and James, I'm sorry, Peter and John are saying. Uh, let's, let's go to Revelation chapter 14. Ah, no, you cannot do that. Go to Revelation 3 verse 14. Thank you. Revelation 3 14. Jesus' words. Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true. Could you use a better word right here? What is it? Witness. That's exactly what Peter and John are doing. The true witness, the beginning of creation of God. That's Jesus Christ at the beginning. There is no, there is no beginning, no ending. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. There is no message, literally. In fact, they say they're rich. It's all about material possessions. Hmm. We could name names, couldn't we? The prominent vast, massive churches of America. And it's all about money. What's their message? Oh, I don't know. Right? It's true. You couldn't shut the early church up. You can't get these guys going today to have a message. It's the same Bible. In fact, we even had an advantage. We have the New Testament. They just had the Old. What the world? So you're Peter and John. What are you going to do? That's right. That's right. We're going to be really quiet. Thank you for your attention. We will leave the vicinity. And we'll share with the other apostles too. We won't let them say anything either. Whew, boy, we barely made it out of there. Doesn't that sound like Christianity today? Yes. Just kind of, kind of, kind of, you know, just kind of wandering out, right? Just slither out. Boy, we got out of that one. No, people. No, no, no. A thousand times no. In fact, they laid it right back in their lap and they asked the perfect question. We got a problem, guys. Let's look how they said it. 
Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, you tell us. Help us with this. Should we listen to God or should we listen to you? <laughs> that is fantastic. So you're telling us that we're not of God. That's what we're saying. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? So what are they going to do? I'll tell you what they did. Persecution not only, you know, I have nothing on the board yet, do I? Absolutely nothing. Um, now, we didn't even review it today, but in your minds, go back to the first part of chapter 3. Okay? He gives the message, 5,000 men and women and children now have been saved. Now, remember where I was supposed to go now. And they said this. Uh, uh, buddy, uh, you, this, you two guys right here, you two, we're taking you to jail for the night. You need to, we're going to take you to jail. Uh, for, for what? You're just going to jail. They're there the whole night. Come back the next morning. Now, granted, no cell phones, you know, no ways of communication. Can you imagine? Now, just for a second, I'll just, just be with me. What if two of you, just say you, let's make it personal. And you guys were talking about Jesus. And here comes the deputies. Uh, Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so, I'm going to be taking you to jail right now. Well, why? Your cell phone? Maybe a little Facebooking, right? I can't believe this, right? This persecution is, this is crazy. What's going on? Uh, carefully, there is not one word other than submissiveness. Why? Why could they do that? Why can you be submissive? Because God is bigger than anything here. You talk about the 30,000-foot level? No, no, I'm talking the millionth-mile level from heaven. God knows no one of which he's an authority to. Those two men went to prison willingly. They stood before the Sanhedrin willingly. Persecution, when you are submissive to it, it places God in a better position to allow you to be the proponent of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Submissiveness is what they exercised. Now, again, you know, these people, they know where they're going to go. Peter and John, they know where they're going to go. They're going to stand before some really important people. Submissiveness is very, very important. Now, we have our rights, right? We do. It's really ingrained within us. We have a constitution. I get all of that. But the point of the matter is, did you see what God did with these two guys that were illegally, illegitimately placed in prison? The next day, they witnessed to the entire group of 71 of that Sanhedrin. They could have never gotten the door opened for them to speak to one of them. And God said, watch this. How many moments in your life is God saying, watch this? Now, there's something else that happens, though, when you're submissive. This is very, very important. Most of the time, Satan wants to pound us, and that's what he wanted Peter and John and they responded with submissiveness to God. But the second thing is to just feel like you have no power whatsoever. Make you alone as possible. And you all know what that feels like. But guess what it did to Peter and John? It emboldened them because they yielded to the Holy Spirit. In fact, it says that he was full of the Holy Spirit when he spoke to them. Uh, Romans, or, or, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, he said that under the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what happens when you're out of power, when you're out of strength, when you're in a vulnerable position? It drives you right to your God that's sovereign. That's what we, what do we learn in James chapter 1? Count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into various, say the word, trials. 
Persecution is a trial. Trials drive us to, to God. In the middle of the night, that 2 to 3 o'clock in the morning, that's, that's a rough time for me. I just wake up, and it's amazing how big the problems are in the dark. So I flip the lights on. No, I don't do that. I don't, because Lisa's sleeping, right? We don't want to do that. So I don't turn the lights on. I'm, but in my mind, what I do is I turn the lights on. I sometimes got to get out of bed. I got to go read the Bible. And guess what? The lights come on. God is my rock and my refuge, my strong fortress. Problems start to diminish again, right? It's the middle of night. God's just as big, just as sovereign, just amazingly mighty as he is in the daytime. But guess what happens at night? It's that aloneness, isn't it? It's that aloneness. You will yield to the Holy Spirit when you're driven into a corner if you're a Christian. That's a great place to be. That's a great place to be. Those are two principles, and I'm going to have to look at my notes to find the third one with my glasses. (laughs) Oh, guess what they did? This will happen every time. If you are submissive to God and you're yielded to the Holy Spirit, you say yes to the Holy Spirit. You know what's going to happen next? You're going to preach Jesus. Your life, your words, it's going to be about Jesus. They were bold to preach Jesus. To who? The most powerful men in the United States. Oh, sorry. In, actually, I was ready to say that, but isn't that true? That same Holy Spirit that indwelt them, that they were filled with. Now, you have numerous fillings, only one in, indwelling. Okay, keep that in mind. It's a one-time act. When you get saved, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, you have all of the Holy Spirit. The question is, how much of you does he have? That's the requirement of filling, being filled repeatedly. In fact, in chapter 4, you find two instances that Peter and John were filled with the Holy Spirit, and at the end of their prayer meeting, they're filled again. That's good. That's good theology. Continue to be filled. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you are bold. Boldness to preach Jesus. That's what I find so amazing is that Satan can't seem to figure this out. The more pressure, the more persecution goes on, guess what? The larger the church comes in believers. It works every time. Go to China. Go to those Muslim uh, nations. I mean, and you're getting your head cut off. That's not stopping Jesus. Not for a second. Not for a second. Back to Acts chapter 4. Did you tell the truth here? Verse 20, Acts chapter 4. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen. We can't stop speaking. We can't stop speaking about Jesus. There's no way we can do that. So, what do you, now, another dilemma. Hmm, what are you going to do, these guys? He said, So when they had further threatened them, what does that look like? <laughs> they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. Yeah, I bet. Wait a minute. Can you imagine, can you imagine the turmoil going on in here, back at, meanwhile, back at the temple, if they said, did you hear what happened to Peter and John? And they beat those guys up. Beat them up for what? I mean, for healing Bill? See, that wouldn't go over good, was it? And they know that. They got it, right? So they let them go. For all men glorified God. There it is for that which was done. For the man was about 40 years old when he, when this he, when, on whom this miracle of healing was showed. Now, what are you going to do? Is this the end of the story? No, the really good part is it gets better. Peter and John, they head out of the Sanhedrin. I think they had a little spring in their step, right? I mean, they were on fire, right? We asked them the question. They didn't know how to answer it. So I guess we're going to follow God. They couldn't tell us why to follow them. 
It's just, isn't this cool? This is great. They have really have, they have all of the go-ahead commandment to just, yeah, I, well, yeah, I guess. And where do they go? What are they going to do? Going to go down and get an ice cream? No, they do what persecution and trials do. They drive you to prayer and unity of the believers. Isn't that true? Let's take a look. Let's get into your Bibles now and let's turn to verse 30. I'm sorry, verse 23. Being let go, they went to their own company. They went to all of the fellow believers and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. When they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. Just think of the unison, the, the, the unity in this group and said, Lord, thou art God. Thou hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? In fact, if you were going to expand upon that, you could find literally that they were persecuting God and his Christ, it says back in the Psalms. This isn't new. What's happening at the beginning of the church, but this is not new information. Literally, what are they doing? They're going back to the one that's fully and completely in charge, and they're saying, God, you are awesome. You are great. You are the creator. You are the savior. You are everything we could possibly need. We're right back at you. What do you want us to do next? Now, stop for a moment. Let's just put you, slip back into those sandals. Become a Peter or a Priscilla. What are you going to do right now? Boy, we're going to have to get our A game on. This looks like this is going to get rough. What are we going to do? We're going to have to huddle on this one. Probably got to get some lawsuits going. We're going to have to go right back after them. We're going to have to get right in their face. What are we going to pray for? What do, what do we usually pray? Get us out of this situation. Make it easier. Right? How am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> right? That's how it works. That's how it works. You know, give us more money. Give us more, right? What did they pray for? Now, you... You didn't have time to rip this prayer apart. But it's amazing what they first of all do, and this is key. This is absolutely key. Make God just as big as he is. Don't, I don't want a small God. I don't want my problems overpowering God. I want my God to be bigger than any possible, possible problem there could possibly be. We're going to take a, there's a, there's a verse, a package of verses we're going to close with today that I'm telling you what, there's nothing, nothing, nothing bigger than my God. But what did they ask? This is really important. This is super important. I mean, their lives are on the line potentially. The Sanhedrin have a lot of power. You know what they were probably doing? Those are the guys that are, oh, what are we going to do with these guys? I don't think we shut them down, buddy. I don't think we got them. These guys are bold. They walk with Jesus. Remember that Jesus we got rid of like a couple months ago? This is like the new Jesuses. What are we going to do? We better get the Romans on this deal too, right? That's probably what they're trying to do. How are we going to do this, right? Let's go back to the prayer. Let's start reading. Let's keep reading. Chapter 4. Verse 26. The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. See, persecution has been there for a long time. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed. God, he was your Messiah. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before it to be done. That is an amazing verse. That's like, and I can't fix it for you. There's God's sovereignty, which predetermined all of this to happen because it had to happen, because he said it was going to happen, because it was necessary for it to happen. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, For by him I chose you 
before the foundation of the world. Oh, my friends, that's love beyond belief. Before he made anything, he chose in Jesus Christ to be the way to come back after they'd sinned, before they were even them. That's the sovereignty of God. But at the other side of it is the responsibility of men. Every single one of those that are named, Pontius Pilate, Herod, I could go on, all of those Jews, Caiaphas, Annas, all of those people, they are responsible individually for what they did. But God used those choices to accomplish His perfect will and purpose. That's why Romans chapter 8 makes so much sense to me. And we know that all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to His purpose. That's why, because God is sovereign, and He can use bad choices to bring good together. And I praise God for that. You've had stuff in your life that's not very good. You've had situations that look pretty bleak. But when we're submissive to God's will, and we yield to the Holy Spirit, not only is Jesus Christ preached, and I'm not talking about just verbally, one's life that is yielded to the Holy Spirit, just your life, your testimony, your life, preaches Jesus boldly when we're in agreement with what he's doing. I, this one's sticking out to me. About, it's almost like this, too. It's, it's the sense of responsibility and sovereignty. I can't tell you. That, that's an infinite God working. Okay? Both of those principles are very effective. They're very ongoing, and they're very true. St. Augustine said something. I'm going to see if I, I wrote the quote down. Uh, first, first of all, uh, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, you know, young man, fantastic church. In, 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 I mean, it was amazing, right? This guy's like in his early 20s, and he's got like, I mean, a massive following. And they said, what's the secret? What's the secret? You know what he said? My people pray for me. <laughs> Bingo! Hello! That's the deal, isn't it? Thank you for praying for me. That's important. St. Augustine said this. Pray as though everything depended on God. Work as if everything depended on you. I should write that on the board, but it would take me too long. Pray as if everything depended on God. That's right. Work as if everything depended on you. You see, there's no idleness, is there? See, that part of it, well, God's in charge. God's got it. It's all in God's hands. And they don't do anything. That's not scriptural. We have a responsibility to work for the night is coming. So let's say it together. Pray as if God, I'm sorry, got it wrong already. <laughs> Pray as if everything depends on God. Work as if everything depends on you. I'll tell you what, if we put that into practice, <laughs> get out of the way, buddy. This country will change. Not because of us, but because of the God we pray to. That's another interesting thing. We said it, and I'm going to say it again. This persecution of which these men were under, it drove them to their knees to praise a sovereign God. But we haven't seen any request yet. Did you notice? I read, I read and stopped, read and stopped, read and stopped. Have they asked for anything yet? Mm -hmm. But let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. Meanwhile, back to those guys. You're really big and you're in charge and you're powerful and no one can take you out. But meanwhile, back at the Sanhedrin, these guys, right, brings them into focus. And grant unto thy servants. Uh -uh, watch now, it's going to come. 
grant unto thy servants the power to nail these guys to the wall. No, that's not there. That with all boldness, they, who? Thy servants, who's they? That's the apostles, that's the new church, that they may speak thy word. Did you see what they're asking for? More boldness to speak about Jesus. That's what persecutions into this group. And you know what? I'll find those people in particular in Islam countries today, they're the most massively persecuted. The Islam suppression is amazing. It's totally amazing. But you know what? In all of those cases, and I'd be careful with all, but the ones that are true Christians, something happens in persecution. It makes them more bold. Because persecution, follow me now, persecution is a trial, and trials make us strong and mature. Isn't it true? It's absolutely true. And if you're a Christian and you're living practically what you are positionally, in other words, living a Christian life, what did it say in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12? Prepare for persecutions. That's what happens. Now, our nation is ripe right now for persecuting the Christian community. It's doing it at a, lot, a large level. Now, the interesting part is, is this didn't drive these men to protest. It drove them to pray. Did you see that? It's pretty evident, isn't it? Now, keep in mind, now, this is what's really cool. Sometimes we see the masses of numbers. It's the sense of getting, getting the popularity swayed, right? I will guarantee you right now, if Peter would have went into this temple with 10,000 to 20,000 believers and said, guys, we're going to have to rally. We're going to have to get behind this. We are going to have to go down to the Sanhedrin. We're not only going to have to have signs. We're going to have to have torches. We're going to have to have swords. We're going to have to scare them in Jesus' name. Do you think they could have done that? Guarantee you they could have done that. The Sanhedrin did not act with any more judiciousness, any more threatenings than just words. Because why? Because of the people. It tells us that. That is not what the disciples did. Even power is on their side. Now, that's what Jesus was described as, as meek. We need meek Christians. And I did not say weak. Meek is power under control. There's never been a more meek person ever walked this planet than Jesus Christ. He could have taken them out in a second. And he chose to fulfill God's will. That's what Christians in America need to be doing today is to be meek. Having God's power under control. Think of this. They said, let's go to prayer. Let's go to prayer. (laughs) Isn't that fantastic? That's fantastic. I love it when I know on Wednesdays that the ladies here in this church are meeting right here in this place, and they're praying. Tuesday was an absolute horrendous day for me. The overpowering of the, uh, whatever you want to call it, was just weighted down. Wednesday, when you gals got here, not just because, I I could feel the weight lifting. What is it? My people pray for me. We need to pray for each other, right? Can I say that louder? I will, but it would be obnoxious because I want everyone to pray for each other. That's what Jesus wanted. That's what Jesus wanted. How do you know my? You, how do they know that they're my that they're my disciples? For their love for one another. How do you show love? You pray for one another. These disciples are not praying against the people that are in power. They're praying for boldness to preach Jesus. There's a lot of things that people ask that I would preach about. There's, there's, a, there's an insidious thing going across our country called transgenderism, the lack of identity. God created male and female. And there are levels of certainly uh, mental anguish 
there are all kinds of things. But when I take a step back and you look at that and what's being done to our young kiddos, right? That is an evil that's beyond belief for me right now. But I still, that's, that's not an area that, I, yes, it's wrong. Yes, I'll talk about it. But I want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about Jesus. He loves everyone, and he loves that transgender that is so confused in their mind today. If there's one of you listening to my voice that you'll hear on this podcast, Jesus loves you. He died for you, and he made you male or female, and you're worthy in his sight because he loves you. That's Jesus. That's my Jesus. Where do they get boldness to do that? They prayed for it. I think this is so cool. They could have asked for a lot of stuff, right? <laughs> asked for a lot of stuff, right? What did they ask for? Boldness to preach Jesus. You know what we need to ask today? Get on your knees and ask for boldness to preach Jesus. That's what, Je- that's what the world needs, right? I can't, I can't say it the other way. They, they asked for more boldness. <laughs> so guess what's going to happen? I mean, this is obvious. They're going to get filled with the Holy Spirit again, right? Watch it happen. Watch it happen. Here we go. Verse 30. By stretching forth thine hand to heal. Don't stop healing, Father. Don't stop healing. The signs of wonders may be done. Keep bringing them in by the name of thy holy child. You do it all by Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And guess what? They spoke the word of God with boldness. Men and women, I'm here to tell you today. That's a church that's on fire. You want to get on fire? You be submissive to God, you yield to the Holy Spirit, and you ask for more boldness to preach Jesus. And your family, your community, your county, your state, your nation will be changed. That's the message. That is the message for us. But I want to show you, I promise, there's a packet of verses that are amazing. There's other stuff I could, I I think we just need to close here because... Let's go to Romans chapter 8. It, I, I know I shouldn't have favorite chapters, but I have a lot of them. <laughs> I have a lot of them. I think this is appropriate for this. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Romans eight thirty-one. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all... How shall he not with him also freely give us all things who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yes, rather, that is risen again, thank God, who is even at the right hand of God, even, I'm sorry, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or... I'm going to tell you something. That verse, if you're in any situation, you are in that verse. There's nothing that could separate you. Well, let's keep reading. But you're in one of those situations. It is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all these things, 
We are not only just conquerors, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things to come, nor things to come, and Satan is in that package, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature should be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I say, Amen, Hallelujah. That's literally what those disciples were just enamored and captured by. We're in deep trouble in the United States. We're in deep trouble in this world. Revelation, the book of Revelation, has never made more sense, and it's going to happen. But in the meantime, in the meantime, God is still doing business with souls of men and women and children. Jesus Christ died for those 2,000 years ago that we've taken a quick snapshot view into the beginning of the church. The church is still here. It's still here. It's still being added to. The Holy Spirit is still here. He's still actively working in believers. I just ask, just preach Jesus. Just preach Jesus. Now, when we say the word preach, sometimes it seems to be so big you've got to have a... No, 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 no. You just preach Jesus. This week, I've had numerous phone calls, and people just flash through my head. I pick up the phone... You have to listen first, don't you? And there were those that needed to know about Jesus. Now, did they convert to Jesus? That's not my job. My job is to preach Jesus. Did you see that? I can't save anyone. Keep that in mind. Sometimes we add too much to it. Let God be God. Keep it simple. Preach Jesus. You say, man, you are... Yeah, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. You know what the Laodiceans did not do? He did not preach Jesus. <laughs> right? Okay. Are you guys tired of me? This is heavy stuff, though, isn't it? First level persecution, and you can already see who lost. Satan got his butt kicked. <laughs> and those 71 guys, I, I can't, I, I mean, if Satan would have known, no, 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 don't, don't ask that question, because they're going to tell you about Jesus, Right? 71 people that had total resistance to Jesus Christ two months ago killed him, crucified him. They heard once again that Jesus is risen from the dead. Praise God. Touchdown. Let's pray. Father God, what an amazing God you are. That's what the disciples, that gathering, that prayer meeting after they had been threatened, threatened not to preach about Jesus. They went right to you, Father, went right to you, went right to you praising your name, lifting it up, worshiping you, speaking of your sovereignty. And then they did. It was perfect. They asked for more boldness, that the Holy Spirit would give them more power. And Father, at the end of the prayer, you did that. It literally says what they asked for at the end of the prayer, the place was shaken. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. So simple, so practical. Father, give us the insight to do just that. Father, I pray for our nation from the highest halls of Congress to the presidency, to every level at a high level, Father, every single individual there, Jesus Christ died for. Everyone. Father, I don't know their hearts, but I know you do. May they somehow, somewhere humble themselves before a righteous God. Not as the Sanhedrin that squinted their eyes closed not to see the truth. 
Father, it said in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that all, you, that God would all would come to repentance. But Father, not only at that level, but also at the very lowest level, the smallest home in the smallest place. You died for those as well. Father, give us boldness to preach Jesus. If there's anyone hearing my voice that maybe these moments have been an opening to you because the word of God is how faith comes and from hearing it. If you would just open your heart and repent of your sin. Everyone sinned. It's not just you. It's not anyone else. It's not a neighbor. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Father, that you would that that, and, and you, dear person, would repent of your sin. Go the other way. Run to Jesus as your Savior. He's the only one that can save you from sin. Trust in Him. Lean on Him completely, claiming Him as your Lord and Savior. And today, you will be a new creation. You will be new in Christ. Oh, Father, what an awesome God you are. We humbly bow at your feet, asking you to continue to work in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through our lives and through our lips, that you would be exalted. In Jesus' precious holy name, amen.